0: Welcome to New Hope's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So New Hope 2.0, we've been talking about it. I kicked it off last week. What was something that had been in my spirit for six months, and I literally have had this message I've been carrying, and this was the season as we're coming into the 40-year in December and even after that, into 2018. Uh, So... What we have been talking about is new hope. Like when you get a software package, a 2.0. You know, we got people who work for software IT companies here and everything. You know, the whole product doesn't necessarily change, but the 2.0 means it's like it's it's being refocused for being brought up to date for the mission that it's intended to hit. Like Microsoft Office is still Microsoft Office, but it's like 9.0 or 13.0. I didn't know what they're up to now. So the essence of it hasn't really changed but it has been refocused it's been retooled for this time to be effective you know so that's what i feel from the lord we're building on good foundations last week we talked about uh, one of the things that we envision for new hope is a vibrant family and we picked those words really carefully vibrant means like pulsating with life there should be life and activity right when you go into a greenhouse you can, like, smell the growth. You can smell the moisture. Literally, you can smell and sense life. And it should be like that in a church. And I think it's sad that a lot of churches, sometimes you walk in, it's more like a morgue. Like, it's really quiet. <laughs> like, the total opposite. But I, we really feel like it should be full of life and energy and because God is full of life and yeah. he's full of joy. It says that the kingdom of God is like righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what consists of in the kingdom of God so this vibrant family that's ever-increasing okay so you can hear last week's message and i challenged us a little bit on this i put up some pictures we had pictures of the founders we had actually the shovels in the grounds the people that built this church that were in the young generation they were in the 20s and 30s sometimes we feel like you know i'm in the 30s i won't give you my exact age <laughs> But I'm in the 30s. And sometimes we can feel like, well, someday when I'm used by God. No, now is the time to be used by God. You're in your 20s. You're in your 30s. Like I'm leading a church, and I was handed a church at 37 years old. There's going to be people way younger than me I think they're going to be leading churches in the future. So it's like now is the time. Invest financially. Sow into the kingdom of God. Partner. We talked about that last week. And and I'm not kidding. As I have been understanding things, most of this church was started by families in their 20s. We don't have excuses, guys. I mean, it's like they had kids, you know, they were sometimes driving one car to, you know, cover the costs of things that they needed to do in here. They were sacrificing. I think God is pleased with that, and that's also for us in this day. We can learn from that, too. Okay, so I'm going to move on from that. I'm going to talk about a whole other aspect. This is one of my favorite things to talk about that I'm going to talk about today is one of the other things that we envision is this, okay? Not a vibrant family, but also a culture that consists of those who want to do extraordinary things, take risks, and partner with God to develop to the fullest potential they're calling in destiny. So we called it like risk-taking and partnering with God, The Bible is full of risk. I mean, it just is. I think there's only true safety in risk. Real true safety is found in following God's will for your life, following God's call for your life, following the Holy Spirit to the new levels that he calls you at throughout life. That's the only true security that we really have in this life. It's very counterintuitive, but it's true. So I want to talk about that this morning. I'm going to talk from a specific one of my biggest heroes in the Bible, Uh, One of my favorite stories. So, okay, so stay with me on this. I'm going to hit this hard, both aspects risk taking and partnering with God. I might jump around a little bit, uh, but one of my favorite stories is Caleb. Remember that in uh, Numbers and then in Joshua? One of the great stories in the Bible, I think, is the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt, right? You know, God brought them out of hundreds of years of slavery. In one night, he brought them out of Egypt. And I've heard people say it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them, you know? <laughs> so they wandered in, in, the de- in the wilderness for 40 years. It should have taken them a matter of weeks, but it took them 40 plus years. And that took them many more to drive out the enemies out of the land that God had promised them. So uh, we see this, so the, the picture this. Israelites, they've left Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. God swallowed up the sea on the Egyptians. He saved them again. He delivered them. He was faithful to them. He led them through a pillar of fire, a cloud, whatever, cloud by night, um, to lead them, right? So 12 spies are sent out. So Moses says, okay, now we want to go out and spy out the land that God has called us. He didn't just call us to die in the wilderness. He didn't just save us just to be saved. He called us to possess land and you know to go farther than that right some of us just stop at the salvation but god's called each and every one of us to possess territory spiritual territory and to give it is an inheritance to our children so it's awesome You're, our kids are building on the shoulders of what we have gone after the enemies that we've driven out of the land so it's awesome so moses sends out 12 spies to go check out the land. Come back and let us know what you see, how easy this is going to be. And he gave him instructions. He's like, see if they have walls. See if they have fortified walls. Are they just open? Can we just march right in there? He gave him like a whole list of things to look through. Who says Moses wasn't strategic, you know? <laughs> he was thinking. So they go out, they come back, and actually it actually says that they actually found this big, huge single cluster of grapes. They had, a, you know, they had to put it on a pole with two people to carry this thing. It was so big. So they must have found a very fruitful area, right? Um, it was obviously very good. The story gets interesting, though, because these, they start to share. They come back. They have the, must have the fruit they brought back. And then something changes in the story, and it almost says, like, but then they gave a bad report. Like they went out and they saw stuff, they 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 experienced fruit, they saw goodness. Something changed in the story, and it literally shifts. It says, like, but they gave a bad report. Something happened in them. They got nervous, they got fearful, they started to take their eyes off of Jesus and the mission. Something changed. So they started giving a bad report. But Caleb in that time, I mean, he literally says something like, no, I don't think so. I think if we go after this, we will win. I mean, literally, he said it almost like that. That's in my paraphrase. But he's like, we we, we should do it because we're going to win. Well, he was one of like 12, so I don't think he totally won through. But the people then, they heard the bad report and the Israelites started to complain. They started weeping, crying. Oh gosh, wouldn't it have been better if we stayed in bondage in Israel? We should go back to Egypt which is almost crazy that they would be thinking that. Um, But I love this verse. And I I honestly, you can just put your own name in this. But, But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and he has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. I love that because after the people started complaining, then God got frustrated. He said, how many times do I have to show them what I'm like? How many times do I have to deliver them? And they still don't believe. So then he starts to say, you know what? They're not going to enter the land. They're going to die in the wilderness. That generation of people are not going to see the promised land. In the middle of that, that's where he says this, but my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit, and I don't know if you're like me, sometimes like, I don't pretend I'm in the Bible story, but I will declare that stuff over myself. Like, I grab that scripture for myself. But Steve, because he has had a different spirit and he's followed me fully. I'm, he's, God, you're going to bring me into the land that I'm going to enter, and my descendants are going to take possession of it. So each one of us should take that as a promise for our life, that we're called to have a different spirit than what is in the world. We should look different. We're called a peculiar people. Some are more peculiar than others. But it's true. It's <laughs> true. We'll just leave that one right there. I won't call out any names. (laughs) I would love to take that in a few different directions. Build on that theme a little bit. uh, But I won't. So I love that. May that be said of us, that we have a different spirit. We're not intimidated. We're not ready to throw in the towel, no matter how challenging something is that we face. So remember this, okay? Now we're going to fast forward 45 years, okay? And if you have your Bible, turn to Joshua 14, Joshua 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 6. I'm actually going to read this portion because I I really like this. Okay, so remember Caleb's attitude and his disposition when he was younger. He was 40. Now he's 85. They are still driving out enemies out of the land, like many, many years. It's 45 years later. They're still fighting. I mean they're still battling going after it. Like that's exhausting to even think about, honestly. <laughs> so fourteen verse six. Uh, then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of someone, the, the Kesanate, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kedesh Barnea. That was many years ago. He's saying this, I was 40 years old when Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh-Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. That is such a great saying, like he believed it in his heart. So he's reminiscing here. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For, for you heard on that day that Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. So Joshua blessed them and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, until this day, because he followed the Lord of God of Israel fully. That is an amazing passage in Scripture. There is so much there. It actually makes me teary-eyed as I read it because you can picture the 45 years of him pushing into something and pressing in and going after an inheritance when nobody else believed it, but he did. And he remembered 45 years earlier what Moses had said to him. And behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time the Lord spoke this word to Moses. And now I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. (laughs) Like, I believe that's a picture of the modern-day saint of God, is that we're not going to be downtrodden. We're not going to be beaten up. And we're all going to go through some stuff in life. Ralph talked about a couple weeks ago. Any family goes through some stuff, man, right? I mean, um, any one of us who has been in the body of Christ, or even if you're new here, you may have been hurt by somebody at some point. We most likely all have. Uh, But, you know, the, the victory goes to the one who gets back up and who, who doesn't let it deter them, right? There's, there's some strength, there's some uh, fortified personality that is a very, very holy, righteous thing. and I just love that, that whole passage of scripture. And honestly, we have people like that here. Al and Carol, I mean, these are like saints that have been here for many, many years who are in this category. Steve Rowan, Gail Rowan, I mean, I could go on and on. Bill and Carol, I mean, we have a lot of them. Steve Rowan, I don't want to give away your age at all, Steve, or anything like that. But Steve's older than me, okay? <laughs> if he's here. I think he's here. Okay. Steve was here this week, like, on ladders working in the cafe. I mean, I'm not going to tell you, because if I told you his age, you would not believe it, so we'll just leave that there. You can thank me later, Steve, wherever you are on that one. Um, but he was like, I mean, he, like, he's, there's, a, there's a grace that you carry as a saint of God that I think it almost deters aging. Like, it's like, it's just this thing, you've been going after God, you love him, uh, you, you've been infiltrated with the presence of God, you, you you look younger. I don't know what it is, but Steve, you got that. He was up on ladders. They were talking about getting Steve up in the attic. I think it was a joke, I hope, Howard, but getting him up in the attic to do some things, which I think I, you said that actually we need a mole to get in up there. I don't think I can fit. He would not have done that, I'm sure, but uh, but Steve Steve would go after stuff. I mean, that's that's the... That's what I'm talking about here with kind of this Caleb spirit and this Caleb mentality. So wherever you are today, I mean, go through this story, man, and pick this apart for yourself. And I think it is such a powerful description of the saints of God and what we're supposed to be like. Uh, I believe the family of God is a family of Caleb's. I love the whole thing about just a Caleb spirit, man. I want that Caleb spirit in my life. That's awesome. Now, let's talk about something practical. Like, we love risk-taking. Most of us, in reality, aren't f- fighting physical battles. I know we've had a few here that have, but we're, we're not doing that, most of us, in, in this day and age. But relational risk-taking is kind of a real big thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, in relationships, True. relational risk-taking. Um, you know, it takes boldness to love well. Yep. A good word. Yep. It takes boldness to maintain relationships. Yeah even here, you know, even in our own families, right? Um, there is this great, great quote. Um, so one of the best business books out right now on leadership is by Simon Sinek called Leaders Eat Last. I've recommended that to leaders, uh, young leaders. Um, it, it's, it's absolutely one of the best books. And his whole premise is on making businesses like a safe place, like a safe culture, where you you get the best out of people when they feel like there's a safety and they feel trusted. It's kind of building on the whole Pat Lencioni, the foundation of trust in the five dysfunctions of a team. But this, I think, actually takes it to a different level. Um, And so what he's proposing is saying, you know, it's time that we start in business and in leadership treating employees as if they're actually family members of someone else. That these people, they're actually someone's son or someone's daughter. You know, and you're you're a lot less. You know, you're, it's just a whole different concept, a whole different way of thinking. Like that, this person that I'm in charge of is actually somebody's kid. It, it changes the way that you lead, and it, it should for anybody who's in business. That is someone's family member. I remember this years ago. When I, I used to be so impatient driving, and I've been told still that I still what, drive from point A to point B, you said, right? <laughs> like, I, I don't mess around when I'm in the car. Like, I, I drive firmly, and I, I want to go where I want to go. I want a car that can move when I want it to move. I don't want a slow car. So I get it. But I think I used to be so impatient uh, back in the day. You know how it's like we've all done that. You ride up on the car behind you. It's like, come on, what in the world? Like, Like, let's move it here. Like, we got somewhere to go. You know, like, you're riding real close to them. You get frustrated. Maybe some people have had road rage. I'm not admitting to that on the microphone, but uh, maybe it had happened at one point earlier on in my life. Uh, But then the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you know, this person here is somebody's grandmother. You know, and I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I really had a lot of care in my life for my grandmother. And when I really thought about it like that, it totally changed the way I drove, and it's like, I wouldn't want somebody beeping at my grandma and driving around her. It's like, I, you know, it's my family member. I, I would probably, if I saw that person, I'd probably go out and drag them out of the car. <laughs> that is actually in my family line. I remember, uh, I'll just divulge on this. So my, my grandmother, uh, Jody Cristofaro, went here for many years. My grandfather, Silvio, was a boxing instructor. He was a naval commander. Uh, he was a tough cookie. Um, but my uncle tells the story of how on Maiden Lane, um, I think I don't think you could get away with this in this day and age, but they were pulling out of their house on Maiden Lane and some guy went flying around them and just like so irritatingly bad, like, like just honked and laid on the horn and just everything. So my grandpa and my uncle drove up to the light behind the guy. My grandfather actually got out of the car, walked up front, And my uncle tells the story, he's like, the window was only open that far. I've never seen a big man get dragged out of a window in the middle of traffic. He's like, I still don't know how physically that worked. He reached in, grabbed him out, and the, oh, actually, no, he walked up to the car, and the guy said, you got a problem? He said, yeah, I'll tell you what's the problem. He reached in the car, dragged him out, and put him up against the car, and just let him have it, you know? So that's, you know... So if you wonder why we all have some things we got to work through in our lives and <laughs> things that are handed down to us, but uh, my grandpa, you just didn't mess around with them. And actually, at 80 years old, as he was 76, he lived over on Everett Drive. Somebody's car—they lived right in front of 490. Uh, so it was like, if you drive at 490, you'll see the Chilai sign. Their house was like right behind that sign, back behind the woods. Some guy, his car had broken down on, on the highway, so he came up along, you know, the houses, and he was looking in their window because he had run out of gas. Well, it was the wrong house to pick. (laughs) I'll just say that. Uh, So my grandfather was 75, I think, when this happened. He saw him. The guy took off running. My grandfather chased him down the road, threw him down to the ground, grabbed him, dragged him, made him show him that his car was actually broken down out on 490. Like, did not believe him. Dragged him out there, like, in a hole. the guy couldn't get out of. He was 75. So, but, I mean, the, the story ended well. He actually gave him gas and sent him on his way, and, you know, but... He was a good Samaritan. Crazy. You, you just can't make this stuff up. I don't remember how I got on that topic, but where was I before that? It just made me think of all these relevant stories. Road rage, yes. Okay, so, yeah, back to that. So when you're in a business and you're leading, you start thinking about people as family members. When you're driving your car, you're thinking about the people who's irritating you as a family member. It changes your whole perspective. It totally changes it. Um, so, so that whole thing. So, okay, so Simon Sinek has this quote. We're talking about takes boldness to love well, I love this. You want to put that quote up there. Um, Simon Sinek says, Love is giving someone the power to destroy us and trusting they won't use it. It's like, ouch. That's tough, right? Love is giving someone the power to destroy us and trusting they won't use it. That is, man, do we approach our relationships like that? You know, like are we really vulnerable and transparent with those that are around us? Um, I mean, in marriage, it's like that, right? I mean, you get to know your spouse so well. It's like you're, you put yourself out there. Some of us have gotten hurt by that. And then the challenge is how do you open your, keep your heart open, right, and remain open and transparent and vulnerable? Um, but when we talk about risk-taking, this is it. If you're leading, man, this is risk-taking. If you're in a relationship with someone who's close, this is taking risks, right? It's like open up your heart, man, it's like, ooh, I don't know if I want to do that. But we, we all should have friends and people around us that we can do this with, you know? Um, risk-taking for us could be as simple as reaching out to someone you don't know. And I'm not, you know, we're not all fighting physical battles. This is a risk for us. Uh, we have to venture beyond our own fears in life. You know, I get to meet with business owners all the time, which I love. I love talking to them, their story. I met with someone this week who we were having coffee, visibly crying, sharing with me the things that she had messed up on and where she's at now and how things have gotten back on track. Very much an apostolic person in the marketplace who doesn't know it yet. Um, But uh, most big business owners have had pretty big failures, and they took risks. We don't hear about those stories a lot, um, but if you want to succeed, you're going to have to fail at, at times to be able to do that. So that's taking risks, okay? I want to hit on the other part of this quickly, uh, and I want to talk about partnering with God. Caleb also partnered with God, right? I mean, he just didn't leave that whole battle to chance and just say, well, oh, someone else will step up and do it, you know, so go do the fight, you know, I don't have to do it. or you know, It'll probably just work out, you know? <laughs> I love that one. Someone will do it. It'll, it'll work out. That would be just leaving it out there. But no, he partnered. He knew what God had said. He knew the land that was theirs. So God had said, that is going to be in your hands, but he had to do something about it, right? He partnered with God. He partnered with the mission and the assignment. So God had told him what to do, what land was theirs to possess it. He actually believed it, and he went after it. He so said he believed it in his heart. Um, in New Hope, we really believe in partnering with God, that you know, life isn't just on some track that we get to jump on, and, you know, but no, it's like, uh, we're going after things. God's put things in, in our hearts. God has put dreams and things in your hearts. And he wants to partner with you in these things. It's not, we're not just on some movie that's playing out in front of us that's just going to be determined. No, he's looking for people to partner with him. The, the book came out, radically changed this, I think, decades ago. was Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting by yeah. Derek Prince. It was like, no, prayer actually can make a difference. You know, God is not just up there controlling every single person and everything. Or why bother praying at all? I mean, what difference are we going to make? You know, so we believe in partnering with God. Um, Jonathan Walton had a great blog. We've seen it. We've talked about it here for several years. But it's called uh, "Living with a Green Light." I don't know if anyone saw that this week, Um, but it was really good. And I think the essence of it is sometimes in church. You know, we're taught that God is up there controlling everything. Right. That God is in control, like we love to say that, and that kind of abdicates us from any real responsibility, you know but um, but the problem with that thinking is that it can cause real irresponsibility in uh, not partnering with God, and it can cause like a frozenness over what we're to do next. like I don't know what to do, God hasn't spoken it to me audibly. you know it's like that's not God's will, you know I mean. I don't need to ask the Lord whether I need to go grocery shopping to provide for my kids. I mean, right? I mean, God's not up there waiting for me to ask when I can go to Wegmans. No, he, he entrusted me with a family. I know what my mission is to take care of them. And the Lord is like good with that. He actually put a desire in my heart to take care and feed my family. Like, that's a really good, noble thing. I don't have to ask Him, can I go buy some new cereal because they're hungry? I mean, if I was God, I'd be super irritated with that person. Like, get, I gave you a brain for a reason. What else do you need, you know? My goodness. But, you know, God is partnering with us. Jonathan, he shared in the article, too, that he used to think of God as this big micromanager up in the sky controlling everything, you know, like puppets on a puppet string. You're pulling all the, the dials and everything. And, um, and this was his quote. He said, When I realized that God wanted us to have self-control, Everything changed. Isn't one of the fruits of the Spirit self-control so that we learn how to control ourselves? We don't, and God didn't create us to be controlled by him. Now, Paul does say, you know, I want to be controlled by the love of God. Well, that's different. That's, that's the love of God in us, the essence of God himself. He's living out his life through us in that sense. Christ in us, the hope of glory. But we're also, we're, we're advancing the kingdom of God, and he didn't just create a whole army of robots on earth. He created people that have brains and have hearts. Amen. You know, it's really great. Good. He gives this great example. I'm going to kind of close it over the next couple minutes here. Uh, a great example in Acts 16, <clears throat> chapter 16, 6-7. I'll read this real quick. Paul and his companions... Now, he, it's got the hardest words to pronounce in here, so bear with me. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia in Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from reaching the word in the uh, preaching the word in the province of asia when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter bithynia but the spirit of jesus would not allow them to do so so beyond just the big words what we understand is paul knew that he was so free and self-controlled that he could move forward on his mission and he could trust that the holy spirit would redirect him as needed you know it's like god the holy spirit is there to course correct and to give us adjustments or say, you know what? You got too much scheduled this week. I want you to take a night off. Like, okay, yeah, you're right, Lord. And my wife does that to me, too. So it's great. I have, like, it's coming at me from all angles. Uh, just so people are laughing who know her. Uh, so I love that. So Paul knew that he lived, as Jonathan would say, with a green light, that Jesus said go. So Paul didn't live in any fear of going off course. Jesus redirected him as needed. Sometimes that's a little shift in our thinking, you know? Um, And you still, it talks about in a multitude, you know, you want counselors around you, and advisors, you know, some close people that, you know, help you in life. That's not saying that. But it's saying we don't need to be paralyzed in life about what to do. That God has put dreams in our hearts. He's put, you know, things in us that uh, are very godly sometimes. And we can move forward on things and know that the Holy Spirit is going to lead us. So God is raising up a people who are going to do exploits, right? Here, do we believe that or what? Like, who walk by faith and not by sight, who have shaken off complacency and the cares of this world. I'll tell you, I think God is really raising up a people who are going to be free from the cares of this world. Because if we're just bound up from the cares of this world in stuff and things and bills then we're not going to be free enough to respond to what the Lord wants to do in our lives. You know, God is calling us to almost like a transiency that I can give as I need to give. I can go here and support this person as I need to. I I have time in my life to make a meal for someone who needs it. Or I have time to bring this person to the doctor appointment. Um, You know, it's not for us to get our lives so bound up with cares of the world that we can't even advance the kingdom if we wanted to. You know, most of us are not in a position where we have to wait for 10, 15 years to start this. We can, we can have that attitude today and start freeing yourselves up from cares of the world, things that would want to just hold you down. And I'm not talking about, like, don't ever take a vacation. I mean, I, I do that. I love travel. We have all the stuff that we love, and, and God loves that stuff. But there's a difference between that and being bound up by cares of this world. And you want to serve, you want to make a difference, you want to give, but you can't. Uh, Sometimes it happens in our life, and there's no shame in that. You hit a hard situation, and that's different. I'm not talking about that. Uh, But I am talking about building our lives around the kingdom of God uh, and not as an afterthought in our life, okay? So I want to just challenge us here in all of that to say, like, what is one thing that God is calling you to that seems like a risk? And I want to just take a second and let everybody think about that and get real practical I want everyone just to think, and I think this is going to be easy for a lot of people. You've been hearing it. I think it's been stirred. But what is one thing in your life that God may be calling you to do that seems like a risk? Could be relational. Could be job-related. Just think about that for a second. I always get nervous drinking water on stage. I saw one person once during communion take a little milliliter of grapefruit juice, went down the wrong pipe. They coughed so loud, the whole church like, couldn't even continue with the service. I mean, I've never seen that little amount of water in a communion cup just like knock someone down to the floor. So I'm like, when is it my turn drinking water on stage? You know? It's so terrible. But what is that one thing that God is calling you to do that seems like a risk? I want to challenge each one of us to do that thing. Step out. You know, there's such great stuff out. Whoever said that great quote of, you know, I need to do that thing that I fear, or whatever it is, I don't know who it was who said that. But it's like, so great. If you're fearful about it, you probably, God might be calling you to do it, you know? Uh, So identify that thing and let that move forward in your life. So in what ways is he looking for you to partner with him? Think about that question. In what ways is he looking for us to partner with him, maybe beyond even where we are today? Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name, Lord, for what you're doing and for what you're raising up here and even beyond. Lord, it's a people that are uh, righteous, says the righteous are as bold as a lion. And we're not a timid people. We're not called to be a timid people. But there's a holy boldness, Lord. I really believe rising up in us, rising up in your people. Lord, whatever those things are today that we felt challenged in, Lord, I pray that we would have the boldness. Lord, I release, in Jesus' name, fresh grace for people that would empower us to do the things you're calling us to do, to advance the kingdom of God, to go after that relationship in our life that we know we can do something about, or to forgive somebody, which takes a risk, to put our heart back out there again. Whatever these things are, Lord, we submit them to you, and there's nothing that's too big for you there's no problem that we face that's too big. So, Lord, we just we come before you this morning as a good king, as a good father. And we say we want to partner with you in your work, Lord, in a new way and in a fresh way. Even in this season, Lord, you're doing so much and there's just so much life and community and new people you've brought into this fellowship. Um, Lord, that we would become the people of God that you have intended us to be and that we would hit the mark in our lifetime like Caleb. Um, that even after all these years that we may have been persevering, we're going to see fruit. And I declare that we're going to see the land that we've been going after. And they're going to be there for our descendants too. We're putting that stake in the ground today. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, God. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information on this or other resources, please go to newhopecom.org.